Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. Well, folks, today, our guest on the Cuse Conversations podcast, we are going to be bringing on an international alum to talk about her orange success story. Her name is Hattie Taylor, a graduate of the class of 2017. She earned a political science degree. She was also a four-year member of the Syracuse women's rowing team. She is currently living over in the United Kingdom in Great Britain. She is training with members of the national rowing team over there, but she's also doing great work mentoring young adults to help them figure out their plans for once they are done with their schooling days. It's our pleasure to welcome on Hattie Taylor to the Cuse Conversations podcast. Hattie, good afternoon from where we are in the States and good evening to you over across the pond. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's really nice to, to broaden our Q's Conversations podcast to include our second international offering from our uh, alumni base out there. And I want to start with that, Hattie. How, uh, how were you drawn to Syracuse in the first place? What was really the, the linchpin, the connection that made you want to come and, and earn that political science degree at Syracuse? I feel like I have a slightly different story, like different path to, to most people. So, um, I think typically, you correct me if I'm wrong, but in the US, you, you finish high school and then you go straight to university. Like that's quite common. Um, I took a, uh, took a year out of school after my sort of our equivalent of high school. Um, I took a gap year. I went to Australia. I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. Had university places in um, the UK to study and I was in contact with coaches from various schools in the US but I wasn't sure exactly where it was that I wanted to be or what I wanted to do um, and it wasn't until I got a recruiting visit from a coach on the women's team um, at Q's and she came to Melbourne she actually came all the way to Melbourne which I thought was like a I was like wow that's you know they they really are recruiting well and looking out for looking finding people that they want to want on their team which really impressed me and uh, met her. And as soon as I met her, I was just, I was basically like, cues, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to be. I wasn't sure what it was I wanted to do. And then after that, I was like, want to be there, want a new adventure after I'd spent my year abroad um, in Australia. And yeah, absolutely no regrets about that. What did you know about Syracuse uh, when that coach uh, came up to you? Did you even know where it was located? Um, I, I knew vaguely where it was located because I'd done a bit of research before and I knew it was a big sports school, like big basketball school. Um, but apart from that, I didn't actually know that much. So I hadn't, so I hadn't been, because I was abroad, you know, they normally do, um, recruiting trips where the athlete would come and visit. Um, but I, because I was in Melbourne, I didn't have the chance to do that. So the first time I ever got to Syracuse was when I moved there and that's the first time I visited it and I was like oh cool okay cool this is where I'm gonna spend the next four years but luckily it was it was a glorious sunny day late August so I didn't know what I was in for with the winters. <laughs> yeah it, it's quite different the, uh, the the massive snowfall we win the snowball belt every year it seems like for most snow in upstate New York and you're coming from you know the United Kingdom which gets sporadic snow but nowhere near what we get over here in Syracuse. <laughs> Well, I've never lived and I probably never will live in those conditions again. So I'm actually grateful that I got to sort of witness it for four years, but four years is enough. 
Now, you mentioned uh, being in Australia, being in Melbourne, and getting approached by this, uh, this coach with the Syracuse women's rowing team. Clearly, you were an accomplished rower uh, yourself to, to merit that type of recognition and uh, that type of recruitment. How did you get started with rowing? What, uh, take us back to your origin story with the sport. So I started way back when I was 11 or 12. So in um, my first year of secondary school. So I start, they had like a Easter um, holiday taster camp and my parents had done a little bit of rowing at university. And so I think they needed something for me to do. And I uh, did this for a week and then basically was hooked. And the school had only started up their rowing program a couple of years prior to that. So I think they were keen to get like a big intake of, of new pupils and girls who were interested. Um, so it was really, you know, quite new for me and for the school. But um, after that, they just got loads and loads of people every year. So I was part of like this really successful team by the time um, I left. And what was your, I know that, um, Unless you're the coxswain, it really seems like there's not a defined, you know, position or a role for the team. What role would you say you played on the uh, on the Syracuse boats? Like you said, unless you're the coxswain, like it sort of depends which boat you're in. So you can be, we typically rowed pairs, um, fourth and eighth. So we were sweep rowers. So I, at Syracuse, I was and I still am a sweep athlete, um, which is just one one blade one or but you basically I mean you basically were just put in whatever you were told to, told to go in so in pairs I I you know sit at the basically the front or the back and and be in charge of the rhythm or be in charge of the steering and making calls and then in an eight you have much less responsibility because the coxswain's in charge and you basically are just there to put the power down and keep the rhythm um with all of the eight people Syracuse mostly we did eights uh we raced eights in the spring and the summer what was it about uh, being a rower in general that you, you, know, you really enjoyed? Because it seems like it's one of those sports where, again, if you're in the eight, especially, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, the team is only as strong as the weakest link. Um, did that kind of appeal to you, that fact of being a part of a team working for a common goal? Oh, absolutely. I think like being on a team and being part of like-minded people is, was hugely important to me. And I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but like, I, I love getting up early. Like I'm, I'm very much, I don't think I was an early morning person and now I'm very much an early morning person, but I think, you know, you're out on the water, the sun's rising, you know, that barely anyone else is up, barely anyone has left the house to go to work and you, and you've been out and you've done this 90 minute session on the water. Um, that's just what I love most about, about being on a team and being surrounded by people who wanted and liked the same things as me in that respect. And how quickly did you adjust, Hattie, from being over in the United Kingdom to being here in Syracuse and the style of rowing, the mannerisms? What were some of the differences that you maybe noticed between what it was like rowing back home versus being here in Syracuse? I think probably the, the most uh, like different thing that I noticed was the sort of team, teamy aspect. So I don't know if this is going to make sense if you, well, actually, no, you lived in London, so you might, you might. Um, get it but I think the US and their sports teams are so big and so successful and it's not just at Syracuse I feel like this is just a US thing but everyone's so teamy and so like you know you do your little chants your little hand you know pat things when you uh, before you go on the water and before races and, and I think that was probably something that took most um, 
most getting used to but but I loved it and by the end of the four years I was like oh I don't want to you know my team we're all in it together and and maybe in the UK we're a little bit more reserved in that sense and a bit more I don't want to say modest but like a bit more embarrassed to do that maybe but in America you just like lap it up and you just that's what gets you going which I loved which I didn't honestly I didn't love at first just because I think it took me a while to get used to it and then after four years I was like oh I love this it's great <laughs> how no and that, that is great to hear and and you're right yeah we we are all about our our team sports and you know although we do like to point out the individual accomplishments uh, on team sports we love to cheer for that common team rooting interest in Syracuse being such a huge college sports environment you know the the rowing team you guys made some strides you really made some progress between your your first year and your last year on campus you again were rowing from 2014 to 2017 you capped off your career with a first team all ACC honors how would you say Hattie you improved individually and how did the team get better uh, during your four-year tenure so I think individually um I think actually I'd probably had to learn learn it the hard way. Like I, I'd gone from quite a, say like a big fish in a small pond when I was at school rowing to a small fish, smaller fish in a bigger pond. And I thought that I could just carry on training as normal and, and performing as normal. But actually I realised it took a bit of a step up um, to, to row on a Division One college team. Um, and it probably took me a, a good semester to, to figure that out. But I think once I figured that out, that I have to like step up my training and step up how I am acting as a teammate and, and trying to perform. That's when I started uh, doing doing a lot better, I think, and like holding myself accountable for a lot of things. And that's actually something that I think about a lot in, in my rowing today, how I have to actually, if I want to make changes, I actually have to, I have to attempt to make the change myself. I can't just go and complain to a coach about something being wrong. Like it's, it's, you know, it's really on me. Um, and I think team wise, I think um, improvement. I mean, we obviously, the first two years I was there, we didn't make NCAAs and then the final two we did, which I think was just reflected maybe in the, I think as, as Syracuse as a team started to get better and better, rowing and, and performance got more important to all of the people on the team. And maybe when I joined the team, people had been used to not competing at NCAAs and we're like, okay, well, it's fine. It doesn't matter if we don't. And then by my second and third year, we were like, okay, no, we're actually, we deserve to be there. We deserve to be racing. Um, let's put in harder training and, and performing better and racing better and get ourselves selected. So I think it was just perhaps um, people and my teammates and, and myself being just wanting it more. Um, and knowing that we were we're putting in the work, so why why we deserve to race? So why weren't we racing? What would you attribute Hattie to? Because you guys, the competition. I'm looking at some of the 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 meets and the races and the competitions that your team traveled to, and of course, you know the O'Leary Cup. You know, you get Harvard, which obviously is in a class you know by itself when it comes to to crew. But how did you try to lift the prestige of the program? Because I'm sure it takes time, and it's not going to happen overnight. But maybe a lot of schools didn't quite view Syracuse on the same level as some of the more established, you know, programs. So how do you chip away at that? How do you wear down those notions to say that, Hey, Syracuse rowing, we're something that should be taken seriously and we're a program on the rise. Well, well, that's exactly it. You got like, I think, I think people realize that that's what people thought of the program and the girls on the team were like, actually that's not true. And we'll, we're going to try and prove you otherwise. So I think we just, 
chipped away by, you know, obviously we've got really long um, winter training months when the lake is frozen. And so we do a lot of indoor training. So I think we, we got really fit and really strong over the winter, um, did a lot of weights at Manly and we're on the erg machines all the time. And then we realized that this was our time that we were going to catch up with people who are maybe, you know, catch up in a different way. People can sure get on the water over, over winter on the West coast, but we were like, okay, no, this is our time to get really fit in the gym, really strong. And we're just going to get faster and faster. And by the time we, we turn up in the spring, we're going to, we're going to be able to compete with you. But I do actually, I do remember someone, I came home for the summer racing and someone commented to me how we didn't go to NCAAs that summer and someone was like, oh, so, you know, you thought you were going to, but you didn't, like almost mocking. And I was like, how dare you? I was like, give us a year, you know, just, just, you, you just wait and, and we'll be back. And then, and then we were, but it's just common. It's, it is like the, when people assume things and, you learn what they think of you. You're like, oh, I'm going to change that. What was the aha race or the moment where you were like, you know what, Syracuse women's rowing, we've arrived. We're making a big deal here. So probably my junior year, we had a race at comes in by, which is like the biggest pre-ACC, pre-NCAA race that we have for the East Coast. So there's like 20 schools or something that compete. Um, and we beat UVA at a race there, which is, I mean, UVA win ACCs every year um, and they're very good running school and very good team and have been for a long time. But I think, uh, I think that was probably, we beat them and we're like, Oh, like I knew we could do it. And a bunch of other juniors knew we could do it. But I think younger people in the team to see that for their first or second years, they were like, Oh, okay, we are capable of this and we're going to keep rising from this and keep going, keep getting better. So I think that was probably, probably the race that, that, yeah, a lot of people remember. And now, Hattie, what I'm always impressed with when it comes to student athletes, you know, you have to focus on that first part of the word, the student. And it's challenging, I can only imagine, to excel as a Division I student athlete and maintain your rigorous classes in political science. How did you achieve that balance? How did you find that middle ground to succeed in both pursuits? Well, I mean, it's not easy. As I, think, I think people... You know, I get that question a lot and people always assume that it's just second nature. And, and it's, to some extent, it is second nature because I've been doing that for so long. I was doing that throughout school as well. But it is really hard. You have to be very disciplined with getting your work done on time and getting, um, you know, making sure everything's done so you can get up at 5.30 the next morning or whatever time it was that we were getting up to, to get on the bus to go to the lake. I, yeah, really just time management. I think like, you know, sacrificing some things and prioritizing others. What are some of your favorite memories from your time on the Hill? It can be your athletic career. It can be, you know, something besides rowing, but what really stands out to you as some of your favorite memories? Um, I actually think traveling as the team was, was really cool. Like with the team. Um, I think I loved, you know, when we do, we did a lot of coach trips, but when we would go on the plane, and fly fly to races which we do sometimes if they're a bit further away i you know we're all in this matching kit we've all got these syracuse um <laughs> women's photo shirts on and we'd rock up to the rock up to the airport all matching and i was so i was just you know proud to be a part of that and obviously we're not you know we're not the basketball team we're not the football team so people aren't like wow oh my gosh but you get people being like oh what you know what sport are you and and then you could tell them and and yeah, that was just, I thought that was really cool. And then you're going, 
you know, and, and the process of going to, to race, which is like the result of something that you've trained so hard for and you're with all your best friends. I think that was probably, you know, some of my favorite memories. You talk about having a goal and training for something. I want to spin forward a little bit to, uh, to your post-Syracuse career. We mentioned during the introduction that you are currently training with uh, the, the Great Britain national rowing team. You had qualified for the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games. We know, unfortunately, due to COVID-19, those have been pushed back a year. But congratulations on, on earning that, that spot. That's no small feat to, uh, to make the Olympics. What did it take uh, to really you know, cross that threshold and earn an Olympic bid? And how big of an accomplishment is that for you? I mean, it's something that obviously I've been working towards for probably five, at least five years. I've been rowing for 15, but it was something that I've actually really wanted to do for probably the last five or six. It was all very surreal. Like, I think, you know, we, we were told um, about the selection, but then obviously COVID is happening. So everyone's slightly distracted. And then there's talk about the game being postponed. So you're obviously very excited, but at the same time, you're a bit hesitant to be excited because you're not sure if it's going ahead. So it was, it was actually a very, it's not how I imagined it to happen and, and a very strange, um, it was a very strange and surreal day. But I think uh, knowing that, you know, I put in the work last year and, and I achieved what I did last year, I can try and do it again this year. Um, yeah, it was just, it was very weird, but, but very good, obviously, because that's what I've been working for for so long. What have you been told, Hattie, about, if anything, what might change in like the qualifying process? I mean, are you automatically going to be included in the, the, the games whenever they take place? Or do you have to go back and actually re-qualify, if you will? Also, our boat, our, our boat will remain qualified. So we qualified three sweet boats, a pair, the four and the eight. But the individuals in the boat will have to re-qualify. So we just have a sort of a trials process which kind of runs all year like they take into account a bunch of a bunch of races and testing that you do all year so we will have to basically get reselected so it's like a slight relief that the boat we don't have to try and requalify the boat because that's that would just be another stress in itself but we are we do have to basically requalify ourselves or re, uh, be reselected but yeah so we find that out so we have some testing in December then in February and then sort of our final set of testing in March time. Yeah I can imagine Hattie how stressful it is and it's really it's just another in a long line of challenges that COVID-19 has presented to us um, and I know we talked off air about this but um, I just want to find out how are you and yours holding up uh, with the pandemic over where you are across the pond in, in the United Kingdom. How are things uh, safety-wise? How are things being enforced social distancing? And, and are you doing okay? Well, I, yeah, I'm okay. I think I'm, I'm used to it now. I'm, at first, obviously, for, for me and the rest of the world, it was a little bit of a shock and lockdown was happening. And um, obviously, every country was affected differently, but we, ours was quite strict. Um, so we were sent home from the training center for... Well, at the time we didn't know it, but it ended up being six months. So we were last at the training center end of March and we went back on the 1st of September. And they've done a really good job in making everything very COVID safe at our new training center. So the boys and the girls are split, um, obviously for, for smaller groups and for safety, safety reasons. Uh, but it's all, yeah, they've done a really good job with loads of precautions, lots of you know, necessary rules and regulations to ensure our safety and, and 
you know, we didn't even have to come back if we didn't want to. We could opt in or opt out depending on how safe we felt or if there was, you know, if we're living with vulnerable people at home, they made sure we were able to train at home if necessary. So like there's loads of precautions and everyone feels safe to opt in and, and, and be at training. And it's obviously a little different and something to get used to, but we knew that sort of the whole time of lockdown, it was going to be a little challenging coming back. But now we're, I think we're three weeks in. So it's, it's, um, we're well into the swing of things now and it's more comfortable. When you, you mentioned you've been rowing for 15 years and that this really had been, you know, a goal of yours to, to earn an Olympic berth. When, when you deal with a short-term setback like COVID, how do you try to keep your mentality strong? And, and how has, you know, how has your resolution been tested given the fact that this has not gone to a, according to the script you were planning on? Well, um, Honestly, for, for probably, so we went into lockdown end of March, probably for three or so weeks, I was like, okay, cool, new tra- home training, great, fine, I'll get really fit, I'll do everything that I need to be working on. And then second month in, I was, I think, I think a lot of people and, and definitely myself were, morale was quite low because you, you don't really realise how much you need a team and you go in to train with your friends and your teammates and then you're you wind up training at home and you're on a rowing machine all all day and you're doing weights, but you're not on the water, which is like, you know, the main point of the sport. You're not actually able to get on the water and um, motivation dipped in and out as well, just because you, I think it's like quite hard to see the finish line at that point, because also there's no plan in place. You know, the, the coaches and the, nobody knows what the government's going to decide. So then the coaches can't decide. So we don't know anything. So the finish line was just getting pushed further and further away. So we didn't know when we were going to be able to go back. So, I mean, it wasn't easy. Like I definitely had low points and low motivation. Um, But since coming, building back into it after that and coming back uh, these last three weeks has just been great because you're with your teammates, you're all doing the same thing. You remember why you love it because you're out in the water. um, and, And it's just been worlds better than lockdown training. We're all dealing with this new abnormal the best we can, but it's great to hear that you haven't let this become a setback where, you know, you're, you're giving up or you're getting frustrated. It's just, you know, I hate the phrase, but it is what it is. You have to deal with it and find a, find a solution to it. And, but these are valuable lessons, Hattie. And I can imagine how are you using some of these challenges and these lessons uh, in your role with, you know, Brightside as a volunteer mentor. We teased about this a little bit earlier, but this seems like it's a really current tie-in maybe some of the advice pieces you're giving um, to the, the high school students you're working with? Well, I think it's, it's really easy. And, and I definitely felt this when I was at school as well. Um, like I mentioned before, my gap year, when I was, wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do next. I think it's really easy to think that if you're going through a slightly hard patch, whether it's low motivation or you're not sure where, you know, what, what the next step is um, to think that, you know, life is over as you know it, like you're like, Oh, there's nothing left for me. What am I going to do next? Don't know. Just going to give up. I think over, over lockdown, I probably had some of those, maybe not quite that extreme, but had some of those thoughts. And I was like, no, no, it will get better. It'll get better. It'll get better. And it did get better. And I knew that because I'd, I'd done that before. And that's what I try and tell young adults that I'm working with who might be a little bit lost when they're in the last year of school or they finished school and they don't know what they want to do next. And they think that like, you know, I'm like, you're 18, you're so young. You, you just don't know what, 
you know, you don't, you know, I thought, you know, I wasn't doing anything when I was 18 and now I'm 26 and I'm, I've done way more than I thought I ever would. And I think, I think my main, one of my main missions in working with these young people is just to let them see all these, all these options and let them know that there's so much more out there for them. And, and if they're just having these blips in, you know, personal life blips, like it will be better and it will be fine. What is it, Hattie, about this role of, of, again, offering this advice, offering these mentoring opportunities to these young adults? Why is this something that's really resonated with you as far as a passion? Well, it wasn't something that I realized I really liked doing until probably this past couple of years or year and a half, maybe. Um, and I think it's because I had a slightly perhaps different path and I had some ups and downs at school with rowing and schoolwork and, and after school. Like I, I was, you know, I was quite lost for a bit. Um, for a bit of time, which I, I have only just come to realise in the past like three or four years, um, and you know at one point I w- I I probably took about a year out of rowing when I was in um, my last year of school because I was just distracted with exams and stuff and and I mean I've managed to come back and and do what I've done over the last few years so I think I you know, and I wish I'd had someone to tell me maybe when I was a bit younger that actually things will be fine. And there's so many options out there. And I'm just, I guess I'm quite passionate about informing young people that they have lots of, you know, there's lots of things for them to do as well, even if they're having these minor stresses and phases in their life where they're like, Oh, don't know what to do. Things aren't going quite right for me. I just want to be like, actually, you're going to be fine. And, you know, I, I hope I'm an example to for them to to follow and learn from was there a moment hattie that you were able to that you credit to bringing you back on track you mentioned you kind of felt lost for a little bit so what was that key moment or the realization that got you back to the point now where you seem like you've got everything together i think it honestly probably wasn't until i was at syracuse and i had a i had this training program to follow and i had a bit more of a schedule to follow um obviously in the gap year which i i absolutely loved and i'm so glad i i went on and took but i I had a bit less of a routine like i wasn't really i was working a little bit i was training but it was a bit more loose and then i got syracuse and i had this training program and i had this class schedule that i had to go to and i had to fit it all in and do it and i think that structure just like got me back on track and then i remembered how much i love almost being told what to do but it wasn't that something that I didn't want to do, you know, I was just like, okay, I've got this, I've got the schedule, stick to it. And then I just, and then I think I just thrived off, off the time management and, and doing things that I loved and being back on a team again. So I think probably my first year at Syracuse is when I was like, okay, I'm back on track now. Is there anything, uh, if you had to pick one thing that you maybe miss most about being here on campus, what, uh, what stands out to you? Probably the ease at which I could, go see my friends and go out you know just walk down and get something to eat from Marshall or something or like um obviously I live in a town with a lot of my teammates now but everyone kind of lives their own lives now we're a bit older I feel like you know everyone is settles down a bit and people can people sort of stick to themselves a little bit or obviously a team at, at training but then everyone kind of goes to their separate lives but at queues on campus I and it was so it was so easy. Like I didn't think it was easy at the time. And I look back on it, I was like, oh, my life was so easy. Like I hung out with my friends all day. I trained. I was on a team, and I did some schoolwork. Well, I did a lot of schoolwork, but like you know, it was great. It was so easy. 
I just really took it for granted, I think. What does it mean to you, you know, being again, being not here in the States, but being international, when someone finds out that you went to school at this place called Syracuse in central New York, you know, what do you want them to take away from what that means to be an alum of Syracuse? I always talk about school pride because I don't think that is as much of a thing here in the UK. Like, you know, there's a lot of obviously like, oh, I'm a alum of this place, blah, blah, blah. But it's not the same as it's kind of what I was talking about, about sports teams early. You know, like there's so much school pride in the US and 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 not just at Q's, but at, at most colleges and especially if you're a big sports school and people, it's just so different to anything you find here. So I really am like, oh, it's, you know, I was at Syracuse four years and, and um, you know, I had to get through all these, all these winters and it was so, it was so cold and so snowy, but like everyone just loved it in a weird twisted way. Like, and you go to all these games, you go to the dome and you, and the school, I just, I think the school spirit is just is something that's not really as much of a thing here. It's hard to replace. It's hard to replicate, but it always sticks with you and you've got that orange in your blood and in that veins. And, and, you know, Hattie, I know that what you're doing right now is it's really inspirational to see your journey of continuing to train with the rowing program uh, for Great Britain. And I know that that day will come when you hopefully will earn that seat again on one of the boats to qualify in the Olympics for the 2021 games uh, in Tokyo. And the work you're doing to mentor young adults is invaluable. People need those mentorship opportunities. So keep up the great work. Thank you for all that you are doing. And thank you for your time here today on the uh, Q's Conversations podcast. Okay, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Q's Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast. <laughs>